In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Familiarity breeds contempt. You've all no doubt heard this ancient adage. However, this principle is true only where there is no love. Without love, the man and the woman tend to recognize each other's faults and flaws and personal defects. Without love, the man and the woman do not seek familiarity, they seek independence and separation and divorce. Indeed, it is true that a man cannot do both. He cannot love his wife and yet retain his independence. A woman cannot accept her beloved's proposal and then continue to live a separate existence. Love simply demands familiarity. Love inspires the bride and groom to forsake all others in order to honor only each other. Love necessitates a common life, a common home, even a common flesh. And where such love is found, there familiarity never breeds contempt. Where love reigns, there familiarity inspires an intimate friendship, the most profound respect. Where bride and groom truly love one another, Familiarity leads to an indivisible bond manifested in the sharing of one name and one home and one life. As Scripture itself says, the two shall become one flesh. If you love me and keep my commandments, Jesus says in our text, I will pray to the Father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. The words of Jesus in our text invite the church to share a common life with him and his Father through the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. He invites his disciples to now become familiar with his words, his works, his presence. When Jesus makes such an invitation, he also knows that he now places himself at great risk. From the beginning of John's Gospel, Jesus is like a man proposing marriage. And to make such a proposal, he must also make himself vulnerable. Indeed, to offer himself to his beloved, Jesus must now open himself up to the cross. He must open himself up to the possibility of rejection, of ridicule and scorn. Jesus knows that familiarity may breed contempt. For those who have no love, the invitation of Christ now becomes an opportunity to attack. And so, for the religious leaders of Jesus' day, familiarity surely does breed contempt. They have no love for Jesus, and so his words can only meet with their scorn and their derision. When the Pharisees and the Sadducees hear Christ's word, they will not give up their independence. They will not surrender their power and prestige before the people. They will not forsake all others to honor this lowly son of Mary. The Jewish leaders are quite content simply with the worship of the Old Covenant. It is simply much easier for them to hope in a Messiah of the distant future than to believe in the Messiah who now stands in their midst. You see, as long as the promised Christ 
remains merely a future prophecy, then these teachers of Israel can give him an interpretation of their own choosing. They can fill the promises with their own wishes and their own human expectations. The Messiah, who is not yet with his people, can in fact be controlled by the theories and the speculations and the vain imaginations of sinful men. In other words, these Jewish teachers can give the divine word a flesh-and-blood appearance that fits their own desires. Therefore, if the religious leaders of the day are in fact to believe that Jesus is the promised Christ, if they are to now confess Mary's Son to be the Word of God made flesh, if they are to profess their love for the life of this particular man from Nazareth, they will have to forsake all that is familiar to them. They will have to give up their own interpretations of the prophets. They will have to surrender their own theories and speculations and expectations of the coming Messiah. They will have to forsake all of this in order to take up their cross, follow Jesus, and keep His commands. As a result, the more familiar they become with Jesus, the more they will hold Him in contempt. Jesus is a threat to their own way of life. Therefore, they will cling to their independence. They steadfastly retain their own life, their own private homes, their own separate gods. They love the stone temple more than the body of Christ. They love the sacrifices of lambs more than the cross of our Lord. They love the Passover and Sabbath meals more than the Holy Supper of Jesus' body and blood. They love the earthly Jerusalem more than the heavenly city of God. If you love me and keep my commandments, I will pray to the Father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Dear friends in Christ, do we not also have to admit that there is a sense in which it is easier to love Jesus when he remains at a distance from us? Surely it is easy to, easier to speak well of Christ as long as we can retain our own independent, happy lives. If Christ is safely residing in a faraway heaven, then we too are free to interpret the Bible as is most beneficial to us. If Christ is safely residing in a faraway heaven, if the Lord is far away from us, then we too can practice the Christian faith as is most comfortable for us. We can, in short, live as we please. If Christ and His gospel are merely an idea, an abstract theory, then we too are free to apply it as we wish. Perhaps we can even turn Christ and His gospel into an instrument that I can use to fulfill my own happiness. However, in our text, Jesus makes it abundantly clear that He will not remain at a distance. Through the gift of the Spirit, Jesus and His Father will now make their dwelling not only with the saints, not only among the saints, but even within the saints. And so if it is true that Christ is with us even now, 
If the Word has indeed become flesh and dwells among us, then we too cannot, can no longer simply remain the same. We will have to repent. We will have to die to this world and to all that is familiar. We will have to forsake all others, take up our cross, and follow Him. This is why the sinner fears love above all things. For love ultimately shatters his privacy and destroys his independence. The sinful flesh will speak well of Jesus. It may even profess a belief in Jesus as long as his own life remains intact, as long as his own private existence is not threatened, as long as his own personal freedom is preserved. Familiarity with Jesus, therefore, often leads the unrepentant sinner to hold him in contempt. The sinner's steadfast love for himself makes the love of God and of his neighbor an impossibility. And without such love, the sinner refuses to forsake all others. And so he seeks separation and independence and division. If you love me and keep my commandments, I will pray to the Father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of Truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Here in our midst, even this day, Christ is no mere abstract idea or message. He is not safely residing in a distant future, leaving us to our own devices. Rather, here, even at this altar, through the power of the Holy Spirit, Christ is present in flesh and blood reality. Just as He did upon the cross, so Jesus now comes to profess His love for you. He forsakes all all others to honor you. Like a man proposing marriage, the Lord now makes Himself vulnerable before you. He He opens Himself up to our rejection and our contempt. He comes seeking familiarity with us. However, with Christ, familiarity does not breed contempt because His love is pure. The only Son of the Father does not refuse this day to share a common life with us or a common death. Jesus retains no independence. He maintains no privacy. He keeps nothing from His beloved. Indeed, here in our midst... Christ even makes our own sins His own so that He can atone for them. And He makes our death His own so that He can overcome it. And He takes our diseases, our sicknesses, our weaknesses into Himself so that He might heal them. He becomes familiar with the prison house of our hell so that He might set us free. In short, Jesus becomes familiar with all that we are, all that we have. And yet he is free of contempt. However, at this altar, Christ not only seeks to become familiar with us, but he, of course, also invites us to become familiar with him. He places his flesh and blood into our hands and now summons us to forsake all others to become one body with him. He places in our hands all that he is and all that he has. His divine nature, His heavenly glory, His perfect righteousness, His victory over death and the devil, His eternal fellowship with the Father and the Spirit. Indeed, to become familiar with Christ, therefore, 
does not lead us to contempt, but here at this altar to the joy of the most intimate communion. Here our Lord abides in us and we in Him. He willingly now abides in our sin, in our death, in our diseases, our troubles, our temptations. And now we rejoice to abide in His righteousness, in His love, in His divine and immortal life. Such familiarity must inspire true devotion. We are now called to love Him more than our own independence and and privacy. To love His poverty even more than the world's prosperity. To love His sacrifice more than our own freedom. To love His death more than our own life. Familiarity breeds contempt. So says the old proverb. But this principle is true only where there is no love. Where the love of Christ reigns, their familiarity inspires the most devoted communion as we now willingly lay down our lives for one another. To Christ be all the glory, now and forever. Amen. Amen.